0: Ed Flash
1: President Biden to re-nominate Julie Sue as the nation's labor secretary. Meanwhile, more organizing, the latest at a Wells Fargo bank in New Mexico. And today on the show, it's the American Federation of Government Employees and our independent labor voice, Tom Buffenbarger. Welcome to the Tuesday, December 26th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least five platforms. That includes... Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. We have two guests on the show today, and since this is the end of the year, we are going through a number of shows, some of the most downloaded shows, and replaying them for our listeners. And one of them goes back to June, June 21st, with David Can. David is the director of organizing for one of our great sponsors the American Federation of Government Employees, afge.org. And this has been a banner year of organizing for AFGE. It's been a banner year altogether. In fact, if you go to the website right now, afge.org, looking back, they write, we've had so many things to celebrate, whether it's organizing, representation, contract negotiations, lobbying, our union at all levels did an amazing job empowering our members As the largest labor union representing federal and D.C. government employees, AFGE is proud to have played a major role in improving the lives of government workers. These are the people that keep our country running, especially during political turmoil and uncertainty. A new year will soon begin, and our work ensuring strong workers' rights will continue. In the meantime... Let's celebrate our victories, big and small, and continue to inspire each other as we have done for over 90 years. And some of the highlights here, TSA officers winning a historic 31% pay raise, which, by the way, is the largest in TSA history. An additional 33,000 feds will get a locality pay bump next year, thanks to the American Federation of Government Employees. Uh, Let's see, winning big on election night, the union successfully got their endorsed candidates elected left and right on November 7th, and they also scored a major victory at the Supreme Court in a case involving dual-status National Guard technicians. They also started a new local in Europe. That's right. This is uh, new government employees at large Local 14, which the union established Earlier this year to represent federal workers who toil in Europe, a unanimous, unanimous pro-union vote among Army and Air Force exchange service workers. This happened at the Kaiser Lawton base in Germany. The local represent 389 workers. We're talking retail store workers, gas station workers, and civilian teachers in base schools. As far as organizing, AFGE ended October with a net gain of 1,826 members driving their monthly goal, which was above the monthly goal, of 1,500. That was what they were shooting for. They did it by, what, 326 members. They also saw growth in every single district, with District 10 taking the lead. Now, when we talked to David, again, that was uh, back in June, despite losing... 3,500 members a month due to retirement, the union is able to employ a strategy to bring in more new members than it loses. And that's exactly the strategy that works so well with the American Federation of Government Employees this year. So we're going to go back to that interview and talk about the model that they created which is (laughs) bringing incredible results. Later in the show, we're going to replay an interview that I did with Tommy Buffenbarger, our independent labor voice, former general president of the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers. And this was uh, broadcast on uh, July 4th, Independence Day. And it's all about the story of Harley Davidson. Talk about an iconic motorcycle. That motorcycle began production in 1903 in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. For a long time, the US military was the company's largest customer. Fast forward to 1981, company had some financial problems and about 13 executives, they pulled their money together and they bought out Harley. They then met with the Machinist Union and Tommy was in charge back then with the local and they found a way to engage their employees while improving the standing of Harley Davidson. And that's the tease. I'm going I'm to let you listen to this later in the show because it is a great story of what happens when unions and management get together. Great story. And Tommy is going to share with us that story later in the show. Now a brief look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at BoydWatterson.com. President Biden will re-nominate acting labor secretary Julie Sue. In the new year, as the Senate sent back hers and dozens of other nominations that they failed to pass this calendar year. Now, as we reported on this show, a Senate committee advanced acting secretary's nomination to the full chamber. But, but, but we had some moderate Democrats like Manchin and Kirsten Sinema withholding their support. Now, Sue previously served as the California Secretary of Labor and as Deputy Secretary to Marty Walsh, the former Labor Secretary who departed the Biden administration in March. Sue has a very distinguished record as an advocate for workers' rights and would be the first Asian-American member of Biden's cabinet at the secretary level if confirmed in 2024. I'll tell you, she got high marks, too. You may recall some months ago they finally settled a dispute with a longshoreman. They could not get anywhere until Julie Sue entered those negotiations. Soon as she got there, it was all resolved and she got high marks for that as well. How about this one? Workers at a Wells Fargo bank branch in Albuquerque, New Mexico voted five to three to form a union, eight members in the office, eight workers there, five to three going for the union. Now, Theirs is the first employee union at a major U.S. bank. By the way, they are affiliated with the Communication Workers of America and the workers at another location. This would be in Bethel, Alaska. They are voting in a representation election any day now. The Ninth Circuit will rehear a challenge to AB5. That's the California law that makes it difficult for gig companies to classify workers as independent contractors, The application of AB5 to many gig companies is currently on hold pending a California Supreme Court case about Proposition 22. That's the industry-backed ballot initiative, which passed about three years ago. However, legal battles are still raging over AB5. Most recently, a Ninth Circuit three-judge panel had allowed an equal protection challenge on the grounds that AB5 unfairly targeted the business model of companies like Uber and Lyft. So we'll see what happens there. All right, I'm going to take a quick break. When we come back, David Kahn, Organizing Director of the American Federation of Government Employees.
0: This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com.
2: It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. That's LiUNA.org.
1: Attention members of the Heat and Frost Insulators Union who are interested in traveling. Central Ohio has more construction projects on the books than anywhere in the US. Mega projects, large and medium sized jobs are creating more work than our local 50 brothers and sisters can handle. Projects like Intel, the Honda LG battery plant, and multiple data centers for Facebook. Google and Amazon offer union wages, overtime, and exciting incentives. Local 50 is seeking union travelers to meet the needs of its signatory contractors who can put you to work immediately. If you're a member in good standing and interested in the work opportunities in Central Ohio, visit insulators50.com forward slash For more information, America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. You can find more at ifpte.org.
0: There is unity and strength for workers.
2: We are the USW. We are the
0: USW. The United United Steelworkers. The largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in In the the US, US, Canada, Canada, and and the the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steelworkers, standing strong and fighting
1: for what's right. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Ironworkers. You can find more at ironworkers.org.
0: Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferencz.
1: And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. You can find more at oh.aft.org. Well, as I indicated at the top of the show, what we're doing is playing some of the most downloaded shows here on America's Workforce for 2023. And one of them goes back to June when we had David Can on the show. David is the director of organizing with the american federation of government employees and he talked about the organizing model used by the union and why empowering locals and members is the key to successful organizing let's listen here on america's workforce let's go to washington dc right now and welcome to the show david can who is the organizing director for the american federation of government employees afge.org has been with the union for about 10 years Spend much of his life as a union activist and a labor lawyer. Before we talk about organizing, I was talking earlier about President Biden's campaign appearance, his first event in Philadelphia last week. And uh, we should note that the American Federation of Government Employees, the nation's largest federal employee union, representing 750,000 federal and D.C. government employees, also endorsed President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris for Re-election next year after a nationwide telephone town hall and two national membership polls that showed Biden to be the member's overwhelming choice. AFGE's National Executive Council voted unanimously to endorse Biden for the 2024 election. Everett Kelly, their president, said during his first term, the president has proven himself to be the most labor-friendly president in our lifetime. David, can I'm sure you have to agree with that. I mean, it, it's refreshing to have a pro-union president in the White House. I'd like to get your comments. Go ahead.
3: Yeah, it's 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 been great. Um, I, I think the, the the thing I start with, and thank you me. It's a it's a pleasure to be on again. Uh, the thing I start with is that you know we, we took a poll of the membership and asked. Of all the candidates that had that had uh, expressed an interest uh, in in the presidency, who they'd like to who they'd like to see us support, and as you mentioned, overwhelming support for uh, Biden, which makes a ton of sense. Um, we've seen um, executive orders and initiatives and uh, policy changes uh, from Biden uh, doing whatever he can to promote the opportunity for folks to have a voice on the job as union members in the federal sector um, and support private and public sector cohorts. And it's been extraordinary. Um, things like the TSA pay raise, uh, which we're organizing around now, have been extraordinary initiative from the, the, the Biden presidency. And with, with policies and priorities like that, it's hard not to be excited about uh, the uh, another term of a, a labor-friendly Biden.
1: Yeah. Very labor friendly. And, you know, a lot of people are saying he's more pro union than FDR. And I did a little research on this and I'll share that with you. Uh, FDR was not in favor of public sector unions. I don't know (laughs) if you realize that, but uh, he was saying, hey, you know what? They're in the government. Uh, You know, the government's going to treat them okay." I mean, I'm just paraphrasing things here. But he was not big on that where Biden is. I mean, he likes unions everywhere. So there is a difference. And obviously, that puts him in the category as being the most pro-union president in our history. So something we should uh, celebrate. Let's talk about organizing. Uh, May was a big month. And I remember the last time we had you on the show, there was a game plan, obviously, with Biden in the White House. Things were looking better. David, you got to tell me what what you're doing here, because it's it's pretty remarkable. Maybe you can uh, share with our listeners what's going on in the American Federation of Government Employees. Well,
3: thanks for asking. I'm pleased to say that May was the best month for growth that the American Federation of Government Employees has had in eight years. Um, And the key behind that has been, I'm pleased to say, a mobilized membership. Um, We have had extraordinary growth over the past year. And that's a result of members talking to members. Um, our our the, the foundation of our plan to, to grow has been having one-on-one conversations uh, with members talking to each other and members of organizing committees talking to each other about the issues that folks care about so that they can get involved to resolve the issues that, that matter to them. Um, we've, t- we've talked a lot in our union about the difference between recruitment and organizing. And... As we understand it, when when you ask people to join a union because of the great benefits or because of the job protections, um, what you're doing is you're asking people to join other a transaction. They pay dues, and in return, the union protects them. And when you do that, you're not making a strong case that they need the union all the time. Because I don't always need uh, grievances and, and representation. I don't always need the benefits for uh, you know good dental insurance or savings on tires. And and the union wouldn't always need me based on that explanation. But when you ask people what it is that they want to see improved about the job, when you talk to people about having a voice, about terms and conditions of employment, about being on an equal level at the table with the employer uh, regarding all the things that happen on the job site and in the facility, people understand that. And people understand that that's, that's a permanent thing. That's not temporary. You always want to have voice. You always want to have power in the workplace. And the people, people not only are more likely to join for those reasons, but they're more likely to stay. One of the things we found is in the past year, even though we lose 3,500 people to retirement and promotion every month, we've only lost about 500 people to dropping the union out of 715,000 uh, bargaining unit employees to, to, to dropping. We've got most of the back because the reason people are joining is because they're joining to have a voice. That desire is mm-hmm. never a, a desire that diminishes or goes away.
1: 3500 a month you're losing, primarily to retirement and attrition? That's Is that the case?
3: Yeah. I don't know if you've ever heard the, the phrase of the silver tsunami, but uh, that's how OPM described uh, what was coming and uh, a big part of the reality in the federal uh, sector. Uh, it's it's an older workforce than a lot of other workforces. Um, yeah, I, I believe, and I, I haven't, I haven't you know, I've slept since I've looked at this study, but I believe that about 35 to 40 percent of the federal uh, workforce would be eligible to retire on any given day. Uh-huh. Um, and so the 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 there's a lot of these positions are not high turnover positions. And if you think about, you know, food inspectors, you think about, uh, you know, uh, Border Patrol agents, you think about VA nurses and doctors. Um, you know, these are the positions that people make a career out of. But a lot of the folks that are in them are eligible to retire. And so ultimately what ends up happening is every single local of our 941 locals in AFG has to be in a constant organizing model, understanding that they're recruiting, not because people are leaving the job to go elsewhere, but because the, you know folks that are, have been in the job have been in the job for a long time. Um, and so a part of what's happening as we develop this organizing model is that it's being woven into the fabric of what a representation in local culture looks like and as people begin their careers in the federal service, they're doing it with an understanding of the importance of having a voice and the importance of being a member of the union.
1: So essentially, because of that silver tsunami, and I did hear that. I mean, it's 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 prevalent right now. Because of that, you have to fight just to keep your head above water right now. You, I mean, obviously, you got new employees in and you got to talk to those employees to join the union but you're but, but you're making progress though i mean 3500 a month yeah 3500 a month maybe you get uh, i don't know 3700 4000 in so you got to keep moving in that in that direction talk to me about uh, about that conversation and and i've heard this from various uh, members from your your union on the show when somebody comes in, do you give them, and obviously there's some people that do this better than others, let's be honest. Do you give them a set of talking points to say, hey, this is why I'm in the union, and and you need to be in the union too, because this is what you're going to get, A, B, C, and D. I mean, how does that work? And you, Because I'm sure there's a lot of people right now that are saying, hey, I want to do what AFGE is doing. You follow me?
3: Absolutely, and, and, and it's it's so interesting that you asked it the way you did, because I would argue that what the organizing conversation looks like is the same, no matter what sector you're in and no matter what industry you're in, because the reason people join unions very enormously, when I'm training uh, our, our local leaders and our national leaders about how to have these organizing conversations, I go around the room and I say, look back to when you first got involved as a member. And, Think about the reason that you joined. Think about the thing that you were trying to fix. And I asked, you know, maybe half a dozen people to go and talk about what it is. And the answer is very. Um, you know, I have, I'll have one lady say, you know, when when, when I joined uh, the parking lot outside our facility, I worked at night, was super unsafe, wasn't well lit, and I needed the agency to fix that. Somebody else says, you know, I felt like our, uh, our vacation schedule was being administered in an unfair way. And boss's fishing buddies always got to take Christmas off. Somebody else says that they were concerned about um, the career ladder. Everybody joins for a different reason. So when you look at what the organizing conversation is, it's about 80% listening and 20% talking, where the person who's doing the organizing says, tell me about what it is that you want to see fixed. Tell me about, and this is, this is with existing employees. This is not new employees. We talked a little bit about new employee orientations. I'll get to that in a second. But with the existing employees, say, tell me about your job. Tell me about what you do. Tell me about what you want to see fixed. If you had a magic wand, you know what would what would what what, what what would you do to change about the job? the things gotten better or worse since you've been there now? And when people start talking, they realize there's some issue for that person, that employee that they want to see fixed, they want to see improved. And you know it's not really possible to go to work every day with that 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 grievance, that that upset, that that thing that's bringing you down at top of mind. But it. it it lives, in, it lives in your belly, lives in your, it, 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 it's a constant irritant. You know, maybe it's, it's the thing that makes your, uh, whatever your Sunday is, whether it's Sunday or not, your Sunday is a little bit grayer because you have to go back into the job. But the organizer's job is to identify that issue and bring it to the forefront, polish it off and show it to the worker and say, you've been pushing this down every day. But this is a thing that you need to see fixed. You're telling me about how intolerable it makes your job, about how it affects your family, about how it affects your life. We're having this conversation now. So at the end of this conversation, you're gonna make a decision. Either way, you're gonna make a decision to continue living with it, to join your coworkers, and to try to fix it. You know, so what decision do you want to make? And and, and the understanding at the end of this conversation is that being a union member is not a passive decision, it's an active decision. You're involved, you're having right. a voice, you're get you're, you're you're making a change. And when people understand, when people are looking at the thing they want to see fixed. They can't say no to having a voice. They can't say no to getting involved. And then at that point, the organizing conversation becomes an activism conversation. It becomes an engagement conversation. It's not just about joining. It's about how people can get plugged in and begin addressing the thing they care about and what's exciting about that. It doesn't just make the union stronger from a membership perspective, just based on pure numbers. It means you have more people that have their, you know, uh, shoulder to the wheel, and are are pushing, and it makes you stronger for representation. Makes you stronger for mobilization. Makes you stronger when it comes to, to legislative initiatives, because everybody cares about something different, and everybody that you talk to and have that conversation with is going to be involved. Mm-hmm. And so the, the conversation lies with having the format of listening to the issue that the person cares about and presenting it to them as a decision about how to fix it. And that's through the federal sector. That's through the public sector. That's through the private sector. Whether you're talking to people in healthcare, construction. The hospitality industry. The conversation is the same for absolutely everybody. And we right. represent 70 agencies. We represent people that uh, you know ride horses at the border. We represent people that are nuclear sci- that, you know, nuclear scientists. We represent people that inspect uh, poultry. We represent almost any job you can imagine, from 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 law enforcement to deep sea divers. And uh, the conversation winds up being about what each individual federal worker wants to see changed in the workplace and how they can get involved as a member
1: to, to address it. David Can, Director of Organizing with the American Federation of Government Employees. We'll continue with him in the next segment later in the show. Our independent labor voice, Tom Buffenbarger, on the story of Harley-Davidson. Back in a few. This is America's Workforce. The Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council, consisting of eight ironworker local unions in West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Michigan. We build the skylines and bridges along the Great Lakes. With more work than ever before, the Great Lakes District Council is actively searching out the next great ironworker, whether it's building the next intel plant or constructing a bridge to safely connect our great cities along the lake. So join the Iron Workers Great Lakes District Council today. Find out how and learn more about the council by visiting IWDistrictCouncil.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Auto Workers. Find more at UAW.org. America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council who represents more than
3: 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils.
1: America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, where you can find more at teamster.org. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Communication Workers of America. You can find more at cwa-union.org.
0: This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more.
1: America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Steelworkers. You can find more at usw.org.
0: Now, back to Ed Flash Farrance with America's Workforce.
1: And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. What we're doing is playing some of the most downloaded shows here on America's Workforce for 2023. And one of them goes back to June when we had David Can on the show. David is the Director of Organizing with the American Federation of Government Employees. Let's listen here on America's Workforce. Say, I'm learning a whole lot on the show today from David Kahn, who is the Director of Organizing at the American Federation of Government Employees. And I'll tell you, they had a bang up May, best May in years. And uh, the problem is there's a lot of retirements. We talked about the silver tsunami. 3,500 people, government employees are leaving. Every month, every month, so they got to fight hard to uh, get the new workers there and make sure they're going with the American Federation of Government Employees. David, I saw this story on the uh, on the website uh, Millennium Challenge Corporation, and this was one of your locals, fourteen forty-four, and this uh, this is an independent government international development agency. And, and you, you, to your point, you know, everybody's got different issues. In this case, it was telework because they deal. These are uh, these are uh, procurement professionals, project managers. I mean, economists, engineers, you name it. They deal with countries around the entire world. So, OK, you're working nine to five and you're dealing uh, the article points out dealing with somebody in Mongolia. Well, guess what? There's a 12 hour time difference. We can't do that during nine to five. We got we got to right. we got to be flexible here. Uh, can you speak to that? Because the telework, at, you know, during the pandemic, I know there was a tug of war going on with that. But can you speak to that as one of the issues that that need to be worked out with the union?
3: Absolutely. Um, and and I'm, I'm glad you brought up that particular campaign. One of the initiatives that we've had is to empower our locals and our districts to begin doing organizing on their own so that we can teach people, and you know, that's, that's what unions are all about, is empowering every individual to have the power to do all, all the things that the union does to, to engage in these organizing campaigns. So I'd like to give special recognition to the local and to District 14 for that effort. Uh, not without our support, of course. We will we it we, in we, we a hand, but it was, it, was, it was their initiative that made a difference. And you're right to say that it hinges on telework. One of the things that's really interesting is in the federal government, we have something called the Telework Enhancement Act of 2010. It says that every agency has an obligation not just to have as robust a telework plan as possible to decrease uh, the the footprint of the federal government in regards to the space that they're paying for, um, but to increase productivity and to have a plan to expand it year after year. And so during the previous administration under Trump, uh, many agencies didn't abide by that. And as different agencies were looking at what. Returning to the facilities would look like during uh, the um, return to work after the, as the pandemic and debated. They've had a lot of questions about what that means. And the answer is, as we understand it, and this is one of the reasons you want to have a union, uh, you know, 715,000 uh, federal workers and, and and the staff that supports them by your side. We understand that if your productivity as an agency has increased or hasn't, hasn't diminished under expanded telework, there's no reason to shrink that. And if mm-hmm. your work speaks to it in the way that the Millennium Challenge Corporation does, it's something you got to have. Um, so we were able to talk to folks, find out the issue that mattered to them, and when it's not tell work, be able to assure not only that um, there's a great argument to be made at the bargaining table, and if need be, in the courts, about preserving it, uh, but that's a bargaining issue. It's an issue that uh, workers have a voice in, and that campaign also was an opportunity to do something we've been doing a lot of lately. Which is organizing remote workers and telework workers. Um, a lot of times, we talk to people who are in the work site or talk to you know talk to talk to people in the facilities. But in this case, you know we're talking to folks who are, who are working remotely, and we've done a lot as organizers to figure out excellent uh, excellent tools and resources to do that. Uh, whether it be phone centers. Uh, visiting people at their homes, um, sending people direct texts and most importantly having co-workers talk to each other so, and my, 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 my daughter would like to say hello to uh, some of the, the the union folks on on the uh, <laughs> on the show if you don't mind
1: okay <laughs> and how old is she? Uh, seven years old. Seven years old. Okay. God bless her. <laughs> I
3: talk about folks having a voice. I'd include her, of course.
1: <laughs> there you go. Start them young. Un- union voice. Get them going there. <laughs> I love exactly. that. We're speaking with David Can, who is the director of organizing for the American Federation of Government Employees. And to your point on uh, the Millennium Challenge Corporation, it seems to me that there, everybody's got a breaking point. In, in that case, I was reading the story, which is posted on the website, afge.org, the 10% of the workforce said that they were going to quit if they didn't, uh, you know, get their demands. Another 50% were considering resigning within the next year. Uh, and I'm hearing horror stories coming out of Amazon. I mean, you're you're hearing about worker unrest. The Teamsters are upset at UPS because they didn't get. And now if they say they're going to walk and they're already threatening to do that, that's getting the company's attention have you noticed we're seeing a lot of that right now, David, as, as director of organizing, there's 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 a bit of unrest and people are being probably a little more vocal than in years past. What's what's your reaction to that?
3: Yeah, I I, I think that's right. And I think there's a couple of factors. I think one is in recent years, we've seen high profile, effective workplace actions around the country. Um we saw Teacher strikes in deep red states um, work. We've seen uh, enormous organizing campaigns in sectors that are traditionally not <laughs> not densely organized be effective, and we've seen people begin to understand that labor is a powerful force um, in, in in coming on the heels of I'd say decades where that haven't had not been what has been understood to be the case. And on top of that, we had the pandemic where folks who were, uh, you know, uh, essential workers were, were out grinding um, and seeing that, you know, bosses didn't su- sufficiently value them and their contribution. And so there's been a, there's a cultural reckoning with the inequity between uh, management and workers that everybody is uh, everybody's party to. And it's exciting to get to be a part of the organizing effort and help bring people into the movement and give them a voice. Um, and it's, as you said, it's, it's Amazon, it's, uh, it's, it's the federal sector, it's, uh, I'm sure it's UAW, as you mentioned. It, it's very exciting. And um, I, if, if I can, I would say AFPE was thrilled to send a dozen organizers to assist with the organizing campaign in Bessemer. Um, because when I described the initiative, and I'm sure anybody else would, it's something that's going on across the House of Labor. And we're all pleased to be a part of it. And um, the American Federation of Government uh, Employees realizes that it, it stands shoulder to shoulder with dozens of other, other unions and making a difference in the lives of American workers.
1: We're all in this boat together. All right, my brother, you take care. Thank you. I'll let you get back to your daughter there. It sounds like she's, she's got a couple of demands on you. So you take care she, of her. Yeah,
3: she's, well, you know, yeah, we, we raised them vocal. i love that
1: okay my brother you take care let's talk down the road keep doing what you're doing okay thank you appreciate it so that was our interview with david can david director of organizing for the american federation of government employees now that was uh, broadcast and podcast back in june and uh, they had a lot of retirements but they've been able to counter those retirements with all the organizing altogether. Wrapping up 2023, a 5% increase in membership as a result of the organizing by a giant union and one of our great sponsors, AFGE.org. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, the story of Harley-Davidson and how the machinists saved them. That story coming up next. You're
0: listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash-Ferrens.
2: That's L-I-U-N-A dot org.
1: Dot O-R-G. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. This portion of the show brought to you by the International Union of Bricklayers and Allied Craft Workers. For more information, please visit BACWeb.org.
2: America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd-Waterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWaterson.com.
1: The Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Workers are proud to be a title sponsor for America's Workforce Radio. The Insulators Union is leading the way in the mechanical insulation industry, fire stopping, and infectious disease control. Regarded as North America's energy conservation specialist, these professionals are known for their professional work and dedication. You can learn more about the Insulators Union at insulators.org. America's Workforce is presented by the Labor's International Union of North America. Feel the power right now at liuna.org.
0: Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferrens.
1: And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency. You can find more at ulagency.org. One of my favorite guests on the show is Tom Buffenbarger, former general president of the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers. He's got a long history with the machinists. He's been retired for about seven, going on eight years now. And uh, the story that popped up this year is the uh, the story of Harley-Davidson. Here's a company that was founded in 1903, and they had some financial difficulties in the 1980s. And if it wasn't for the machinists, they probably wouldn't be around today. Let's go back to that episode. It aired right here on America's Workforce on July 4th. Let's uh, go to the Washington-Baltimore area, and I love talking to this guy. Longtime supporter, especially when he was general president of the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers. That would be Tommy Buffenbarger. Uh, retired for what is it six years going on seven years now how many years it's is it going on you?
4: seven years flash
1: wow, the time goes by and how many years were you uh were you in the union with the machine is it wasn't like a half a century or something like oh, that
4: i'm still 53 years as a full dues paying member and continuing of the Machinist Union. I'm working go. on matching my dad, who was a full newspaying member for 67 years before he passed away.
1: Well, Tommy, today is a special day. It's it's Independence Day, July 4th, 2023. Man, do you think about this, in a couple of years, it'll be 250 years. And uh, I decided to bring you to the broadcast and podcast today for the reason of uh, Harley-Davidson, we, we had a really good conversation with Jeff Stopher, the American Legion, and in the July issue, they did an article on the history of uh, Harley-Davidson, their military history, which goes back to uh, 1916, First World War, and then they ramped up big time in the 1940s in, uh, in World War II. And uh, it's a storied history, and it's a Union history and I know you were very, very close to, uh, to what what was going on with the union and the company, which is quite an interesting story because they fell on hard times, and it was the union, your union, the machinist union that helped them get back on the road, no pun intended, but uh, I'm going to let you pick it up from there. Talk to me about uh, the history of Harley and the International Association of Machinists.
4: Well, um, it goes back a long, long time, Flesh. Uh Harley was begun as a company uh, making motorcycles in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And that's where those early bikes were built and where they came from, and uh, especially on the military side. The military was, for a long time, the biggest customer. And uh, people don't give it this kind of credit, but as the military mechanized and that world war one saw that happen in a big way, it was motorcycles that kind of led the way. It wasn't the tanks and the, uh, the trucks and stuff. It was the motorcycle and used as a courier, uh, a messenger device. And, All that time, the machinists represented the tool makers and the die makers and the skilled tradesmen at the Milwaukee plant. And the old allied industrial workers, uh, which is now merged into the steel workers, represented the production side. And over the years, the decades, hardly had its ups and downs. Of course, during wartime, World War I and World War Two, you know, they were cranking out bikes. In between times, it got kind of lean, and the company struggled. All those times prior to and through World War Two, the union always presented itself, both unions, as partners in this venture to meet what our troops needed, what our government needed, really what the world needed for the military. Mm -hmm. And uh, they just did. It's a great piece of history that doesn't get enough recent recognition. They don't talk enough about the union contribution to the success of not only the wartime effort, but the success of many companies during wartime well we fast forward as after world war 2 a lot of bikes were used in europe and in asia and uh a lot of gi's came home and who rode those bikes and uh thought they'd like to uh continue that experience and besides picking up surplus bikes which there weren't a lot of cuz they were left wherever we they ran out of gas or the soldier got off of them. But they, uh, the interest started to really grow exponentially among the public for this thing called the motorcycle. So you had several companies, Indian, Harley-Davidson, uh, other American manufacturers, and uh, they were competing, and it was tough to sell to the American public. Harley expanded... By uh, building a plant, it was actually an old bomb-making plant in York, Pennsylvania, and that's a plant the machinist union uh, represents alone. It's uh, many thousands of members work there today, and uh, that's where they they assemble the motorcycles. Motors are now made in Milwaukee. Motorcycles are put together and sold from York, Pennsylvania. The uh, uh struggles continued. It was owned in those years after World War II by a company called AMF, American Manufacturing and Foundry Company. They're better known to the listeners as the people who make Brunswick sporting goods, uh, bowling balls, bowling pins, bowling alleys, and other assorted material. And they picked up Harley, and it was just kind of like an item they could bleed and drain cash from. They let the quality go down, the reputation suffered, and it looked like Harley-Davidson was going to be going out of business. And at that time, and we're talking the early 80s now, 13 guys who were executives of AMF who worked for Harley-Davidson said, you know, we can't, this is an iconic American brand. People knew that name, especially from the World War II era. And they pulled their resources. They mortgaged their homes, their cars, the dog, everything they could to raise money to buy out Harley-Davidson and a leveraged buyout from AMF. So they raised about $80 million. Wow and brought this company under their control. And they were some great guys. They believed in the product. They believed in the name and the brand of Harley-Davidson. They believed in the employees. They just needed what they believed, better management. And they were dedicated to that proposition. So they spent the first few years keeping the name alive, borrowing even more money, trying to figure out how to really set Harley on fire. And they had a couple false starts, and finally one day, several of these guys, a guy named Vaughn Beals, who led the buyout, a guy named uh, Rich Tierlink, who was the chief financial officer, and a guy named Jeff Bluestein who was an engineer, uh, and a guy named Willie G. Davidson, the grandson of the founder. Oh, there you go. Says we need, we need to engage the employees more. That's we've been to Japan to see what they do. We've been to Europe to see how they do it. The competitor motorcycle manufacturers, and they actually called at the time my uh, the president. I was the assistant to Bill Whippesinger, and says we'd like to meet with whoever you send. And we want to sit down and figure out how we can make the union, the employees, a partner in keeping Harley Davidson alive. And that assignment from Bill Wipessinger came to me. And uh, I took it on. I didn't know anything about motorcycles. I don't have a motorcycle. Never. I've ridden a motorcycle, uh, but, you know, it wasn't my, my thing. We met with a company over several days, kicked back and forth ideas, what it would take to bring Harley Davidson back and to engage the employees with a passion to make it work. And they were pitching all these, at the time, the fad, these Japanese uh, models for uh, high performance work or Uh, work cells and things that they had observed over there. Well, we knew that in Japan, it was all top-down driven. To make it work in America, it had to be Mm bottom-up and engage the workers. And they agreed to that. And in fact, they agreed big time. So we started to take a look at all the Harley-Davidson production uh, facilities we took a look at the skill base that our members had and how to best utilize them and we began uh, a very difficult negotiations and we gave birth to a, a program the Iam had in the can so to speak called the high performance work organization and it's usually it's driven by the membership as a cooperative program where, management and labor have equal says, much along the lines of a European system.
1: Mm -hmm.
4: And that thing took off. Uh, We had a guy that worked with me for my staff, a guy named Don Kennedy, uh, who was an instructor at our school in Southern Maryland, who did very much to make this program uh, part of our curriculum. And uh, we spent Hours upon hours, days and months with Harley-Davidson, giving birth to a new way to do the work. Tremendous membership input. And after that flash, Katie barred the door. Harley-Davidson exploded back into high quality, the most wanted motorcycle in the world. And uh, so throughout the 80s, we were running Harley-Davidson, hot and heavy. Couldn't make them fast enough. Couldn't get them to customers fast enough. And Harley said, we need another plant. We'll build our smaller bikes, the go-fast bikes, the Sportsters-type bikes, and in this new plant, we'll devote York to the the standard or the big bikes. And the relationship with harley went this far is there was a three-member team put together to find the site to build a very modern plant. And they scoured the con- country, looking for the best place to put a new motorcycle plant. And it was a rep from the union, from the machinist, one from the steelworkers, and a company, rep, a management representative. And it was going to take two out of the three this is how much this program was trusted. Two out of the three, a majority vote, to dis- make the final decision where the plant goes. Fortunately, all three of them agreed Kansas City would be the spot. So we built a brand new state-of-the-art plant in Kansas City. And uh, it was. those were great days to see an iconic American manufacturer open a brand new plant in a city that... Uh, very much welcomed it and uh, would employ several thousand people there as well. And life was, uh, though competition was tough because all the protective tariffs that had been in place for a few years were gone, and we were going to have to go toe-to-toe with the Japanese uh, motorcycle makers and the European makers. Uh, We were ready to do it and did it wonderfully. Harley Davidson couldn't provide European and Asian markets fast enough. That was the bike to have. Yep. Well, all throughout this program, the company was going to need to raise more money to do all these things. And the banks were being very tough. Harley decided We're going to take the company public because it belonged to 13 guys. Mm -hmm. And so they had a stock offering, an IPO. First time I ever had to deal with that other than reading about those initials in the newspaper. And uh, Flash, our members and the steelworker members who worked in the company were going to be able to buy stock in their employer. And this was a new concept that we had to train them on, prepare them for, and uh, they bought in. After it's all said and done, we ended up with union members who became very, very wealthy because they were in early on Harley-Davidson ownership and as stockholders.
1: Tommy, this is a great story to share with our listeners, and it's a story that needs to be told. I'm sure it's been told in various circles over the years, but not the way you have told it to our listeners here on America's Workforce. So I thank you so much for joining us. Tom Buffenbarger, our independent labor voice, former general president of the international association of machinists and aerospace workers some of the best shows of 2023 coming up tomorrow we're going to check in with pete Almini on behalf of the heat and frost insulators and terry o'sullivan president emeritus of labors international until then all of you have a safe and wonderful day
0: that concludes another episode of the america's workforce radio podcast thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group.
2: Find out more information online at labortools.com.